Welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Shelby Ellsbury, a former dancer, forever artist, and your host for a series of conversations with movers and makers that are redefining dance across global stages, one syncopated step at a time. Tune in monthly for behind-the-scenes chats with dance magazine cover stars, trailblazing choreographers, and artists paving the way for generations to come. Consider this your sneak peek into dancers' lives behind the scenes, a front-row seat to raw Q&As, and roundtable discussions connecting the nation's top dance talent with creators and changemakers. Listen loudly and enjoy. Today on the Dance Edit, we are joined by Ephraim Sykes. Ephraim is a Tony-nominated Broadway star, a dancer, singer, and actor whose talents have lit up stages and screens. Welcome, and thank you so much for trusting us with your time today. Oh, man. No, thank you for having me. This is a complete honor. It's such a joy. And Ephraim, across our many publications at Dance Media, our audience really encompasses an incredible combination of young, aspiring dancers, professional performers, emerging artists, and arts enthusiasts whose gifts and goals often overlap in service to the performing arts. Uh, and so as a multi-hyphenate yourself, I thought that we would start kind of right there at this intersection of dance, Broadway, and theater. How did all of these modalities of self-expression and visual storytelling come together for you? Oh, that's a Good question and a tricky question because in a way I, I kind of found out later like, oh, this is what I've kind of been doing my whole life. As a kid, I was one of those busybodies. I couldn't sit still. Like I, every day I had to go, I was at either dance practice, a band practice, playing baseball, you know, I was always doing something. And growing up in church, of course, everybody does everything, you know, so I was dancing, in the, you know, <laughs> on the pulpit and also singing in the choir and playing the drums. And I just always found myself like, being in love with doing everything at the same time. So let's jump forward 30 years and I've gone like, you know, heavily focused on dance throughout like my training and college and even starting out with Broadway. The reason I got into Broadway is because, you know, I was a concert dancer coming out of Ailey too. And a lot of the companies that I wanted to get in, I wasn't getting into. And the first yes that I got was for this Broadway show called The Little Mermaid. I had no interest in musical theater or Broadway like that. It just so happened that there's a choreographer that worked with me in Ailey too, and his assistant worked with, he was a dance captain at Little Mermaid. So again, another long story short, they're like, yo, you'd be great for this part, you're the right height, whatever like that. And I came in and I was able to dance well enough, but also because I grew up singing, I was able to sing well enough too that I could, you know, land a spot in this show. And that became, uh, A, my Broadway debut, but and maybe more importantly, when I stepped out onto that stage and started to sing and dance and begin this acting process, I realized that I felt like a kid again and that like, oh, this is what I've been searching for, at least the closest to it, where I get to do everything I like to do at the same time. I found a place that like kind of lets me be the closest to my full self. So yeah, that's kind of really where it happened at and how I was just kind of continue to search for how to keep going and expound upon Again, having, being a jack of all trades, having all my irons and all the pots. Yeah, that's, that's, I hope that answers it. Oh, stunning. That's quite a, quite a first yes. I was researching your incredible resume of shows and roles and television features. And I was thinking to myself, this artist has played so many different roles. And so <laughs> I thought it would be fun to talk to you about the role that certain values have played in your life and helping define the array of roles you've brought to life on stage. 
So starting with the role of courage, I believe you've navigated and all artists have to navigate so many twists and turns, so many kickball change and pivot switches. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, talk to me about the role courage has played in your life as an artist. Man, courage. I'm having a hard time even putting words to how much courage has been almost besides God. I say courage is next up in terms of literally why I'm here today. Like again, that first audition, that first yes, right? They asked me to not only dance, but to bring tap shoes. I had never tapped before. They asked me to be prepared to do like a back tuck or back layout really, like so tumbling. Mm-hmm. I learned how to do a back flip like at, on a beat with some break dancers, like maybe two weeks before that audition. And so I'm on sand, like, just playing around like that was the closest I ever come to taking a gymnastics class I literally had just learned how to go backwards two weeks ago they asked me to oh because it's the little mermaid uh yeah we're gonna ask you to healy because you know they had the little wheels on the okay. heels to like act like they're underwater and then they said bring your book and I was like what book I was <laughs> my bible what am I, what am I bringing um and, and so I had to find out that a book for a musical theater is your book of songs I didn't have a book of songs so a friend of mine helped me print out some sheet music of just whatever my favorite song was off the radio. So if I had not had the courage to say, I don't care, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna do my best. I'm saying yes to all of these things that you're asking me about as if I know that I can do them. And I had no clue if I could or not. Like I did that backflip in that audition. I just closed my eyes and prayed to land on my feet. And thank God I landed on my feet. So again, I, I swear by this, when I talk to my friends, when I talk to especially up and coming artists, youth that are looking for, especially making it here in New York, I always tell them, just you got to be open and say, say yes. Just be willing to put yourself out there. Be willing to mess up. Be willing to try. Like that kind of courage will always, uh, for me, I think that'll put you in places that you didn't think you deserved to be. That'll put you in places that you wouldn't have dreamt that you could uh, be in. And you'll find, oh, actually... God has given me everything that I needed for this moment, even though I didn't know it. So yes, courage is almost the top of my list of what I had to be prepared for. And especially going forward in my career, you know, getting into roles, actual roles and stuff like that. I had never really taken an acting class before. So, you know, I'm just saying yes to going to these in these auditions and up against these crazy, you know, real, real actors and uh, just having the courage to believe in myself. And say, you know what, I know that that's what you guys do, but I'm going to do the best version of me, what's true to me, and we'll see where we land. So yeah, that that courage is what has absolutely opened my doors and kept me going. I love that because behind every star and every aspiring star is someone that got so many no's on their way to that first yes, right? And I feel like there's so many levels of making it. And no matter which level you currently find yourself in, there's a certain level of imposter syndrome that kind of creeps in. And you can ask the greats and they feel it too. And it's almost as if everyone is out here just pretending they they know what they're doing. (laughs) Imposter syndrome is, and it's like it gets, if imposter syndrome was like a monster, it gets bigger and bigger. Like you're playing a video game, the next level you level up, the monster is bigger. It just grows with you. Yeah, it grows <laughs> with the stakes. It grows with the stakes. Yeah. Yeah. You just gotta, you know, I had a, a football coach that used to say, you know, if you're scared, do it scared. Ooh. So that's, I became the model to live by. It's like, all right, you gotta do it anyways. Well, this next role is is actually not 
so different than courage, but it it does deserve its own little moment of spotlight, which is the role of trust. Oh yeah. Uh, the role of trust, because I feel like it's one thing to have courage and it's another thing to trust the results of showing up with courage, which more often than not are generally not what we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said it right. You said it absolutely right. Trusting, like you always hear, trust your process, trust the process. Which I, I would say for people now, like especially youth now and stuff like that is getting harder because of social media. It's so easy to compare ourselves to each other. It's so easy. We spend so much time looking at what everybody else is doing. And the whole part of this uh, process as an artist is you got to know that your trajectory, the doors that are going to open and close for you are going to look completely di- The timing is going to be completely different from everybody else's. It doesn't matter if you go to all the same classes. It doesn't matter how hard you work. If you outwork everybody it does none of that those things matter and the sooner that you realize or the earlier in your process that you realize you just need to let go like say let go let god trust the process and just keep doing the work because you enjoy doing the work then you can trust your work you don't have to trust who's going to open what door you don't have to you don't have to worry about what yeses there are i can trust that i'm doing great work that's always going to be that's what i'm here for that's what i love that's why i'm doing this and then you can kind of close your eyes to the the process or the, you know, the when things are happening and just, you know, I'm going to wind up where I wind up when I'm supposed to be there and you're going to be there in the right time. And it's going to be therefore on purpose and with purpose. So trusting that process, trusting yourself. And again, me being a spiritual person and, you know, it's not always got to be like a Christian faith, whatever it is that you believe in, whether it's yourself, whether it's a God, whether it's the universe, just trust that it has your back. And especially when you do your work and just, you know, don't worry about when, and where things happen like that, that that's all part of the, the fun. That's all part of the surprise. Yeah. It takes courage to just keep showing up for it. And then we're back. <laughs> yeah. Courage to show up and trust that you're going to get there when you're going to get there. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, you're certainly living, living legacy. Uh, clearly you're taking your own medicine here, which I always admire. <laughs> I've had to take it a lot recently, man. Yeah. It's been tricky. It's been tricky. This pandemic and everything that's gone on and like in my life and career, like all these sharp turns that I never thought, like I thought I was supposed to be doing this. And then like that ended up flopping. And then I'm all of a sudden I'm here and you know, it just, it's been happening a lot recently that I've had to like, wait, what is going on? Let me, let me pull myself back because I found myself getting anxious. I found myself getting even depressed, like over the, the stuff like that where projects that I thought I was supposed to be doing or things that like were supposed to be happening are, aren't happening all of a sudden. And then there's the nose and then, you know what I mean? Like I had to like really take some time to just center myself and realize once again, like, oh no, this is on purpose too. This is part of my process. Let me like figure out what's being said to me. Where do I need to be? What do I need to work on? Let me get, get to my work. And then all of a sudden the door started opening again. But man, I, I have to take this medicine often. Yeah, I want to I wanna like dig into that for a second because I think that especially as an artist, it's such emotional work. It's an act of service and you're pulling on your own emotional reserves and your own emotional stores. And so when you don't get the part or a pandemic comes out of nowhere or, you know, this potentially like career catapulting moment just took a sideways turn, it's like it really shakes your nervous system and it can shake your sense of self-worth and a myriad of other things. And so it's like how have you found it helpful to kind of recalibrate just from like a nervous system standpoint when life's kind of throwing you 
And at the same time, like that, that space is where you're having to pull from to perform and to do the work that you do have. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm still figuring it out, honestly. Yeah. Um, but the, the main thing I learned, luckily going into the process of the pandemic, I was doing Ain't Too Proud. And in Ain't Too Proud, I was doing this role and this show that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do on a stage. And not just dancing, you know, of course, all the, the dancing was, was pretty hard. The singing was really hard. The acting was a very deep emotional place. And then I'm having to like toss a microphone in the air and in the dark and catch it night by night, twice a night. Like, so the, the blessing that was the awards and accolades and all the attention that it brought, but I'm not somebody that really enjoys, you know, so much attention. Like it made me like, it, it was frightening uh, to say the least. Like, and I had to live that day by day. And I luckily had a great teacher. Uh, by the name of Liz Kaplan, my voice teacher, who simply like helped me breathe a lot, literally breathe. I, we, I found out and she's taught that like so much of us, especially dancers, I'll say, throughout uh, our lives, we don't breathe. Mm -hmm. We hold our breath, we hold on tight and then we, we push, we like grit our teeth and we do what we have to do to do these impossible, these very difficult things. And that's the way we are trained. So from the time that we're five and six years old, all the way through our adult lives, we've been holding our core so tightly uh, that when sometimes things go wrong or even just in regular life, you realize, oh, my shoulders are up. Oh, I haven't taken a full breath in and out since I woke up this morning, right? And it's funny how once you do that, you when you physically breathe, it reminds your brain and it reminds your heart and your spirit like, oh, wait, you're still alive. <laughs> Everything's okay. You don't need to panic right now and let the world and the chaos do whatever it's gonna do around you. You stay centered. You stay centered. The more you breathe, the more you calm that nervous system down. So no matter what is happening, that's a first and foremost. What I learned to do to like get to a place at least of clarity and of peace. And then I can figure out my actions from there. And then the other thing I learned recently, it's okay to feel everything too. And I think that's something that as I will say as men, especially everybody for sure. But I know for me as a man, as a black man, the expressions of anger or sadness or stuff like that, we're taught to like be strong and just Hold it together. Be cool always. Now nothing affects you. Everything's fine. And no, that's not true. It's okay to not be okay. So I had to find where who I could go to or the places I could go to to actually scream. <laughs> like scream, cry, let it out, breathe, come back. Now we can go forward again, right? Like that part, the, the therapy of it is very, very important too. Like we got to take care of our mental health, our emotional health, especially as, again, like you said, we're the artists. We're having to dig into these very deep places. You know, art for me is therapeutic and cathartic. So that's what I pull from, like you were talking about. In order for me to do that in a healthy way that doesn't destroy me while the world is already in flux as normal, I have to do this routine of breathing and taking care of my mental space. Yeah. I mean... I think breath is so underrated given that it is our life force. It is yeah. our source of vitality that keeps our body yeah. functioning on every level. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, I will say I had the absolute gift and pleasure of seeing you perform in Ain't Too Proud, which you reflected on it quite humbly. But for listeners that are unaware for whatever reason, um, <laughs> Ephraim originated the role of David Ruffin, the Temptations lead singer in Ain't Too Proud, which won him a Cheetah Rivera Award for Best Male Dancer on Broadway. And first of all, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> and second, you know, I remember sitting there, this was months ago now, but sitting there watching this performance 
of these extraordinary artists bringing the stories of other extraordinary artists to life, right? And you talk about the fear that comes with that level of spotlight and the, the expectation of that stardom. And it's wild because, well, that was certainly experienced by the David Ruffin. And right. <laughs> right? And now like layers on as we bring his legacy to life th- through the lo- likes of modern day talent, modern artists, it still gets in your cells. You know, you're still impacted in this way of, of delivering on this kind of impossible expectation, eight shows a week performing at that level, throwing, catching props in the dark. I mean, it was so acrobatic. The, the level of dancing was just as I I would say challenging as the level of singing, just as challenging as the emotional portrayal of these lives. And I mean, it was just, I remember watching and thinking to myself, I would need like a week off after a show like that one show like (laughs) (laughs) minimum and y'all right and you're like eight shows a week and awards shows here and probably like you know tv interviews there and it's a lot yeah that was like thinking about it now gives me chills and also makes my knees and my back ache (laughs) because it was it was a lot like I said like and what you were just saying the show itself is extremely difficult but I didn't even mention what you were saying the life outside of the show though other award shows the tv interviews the photo shoots the this that like it was non-stop and we were working on that for years honestly like before broadway even happened so yeah you do that show i remember we did a workshop that we uh did this you know before we even hit the stage we did a workshop of it and i finished the first act and felt like i got hit by a mac truck i literally was like a cartoon on the pavement flat 2d like it was I had to ring myself out. And yeah, this that that level of work was something that I did not know how to accomplish, how to overcome. I didn't, it was one of those things I didn't know if I could do it. Literally, day by day, you don't know if you're gonna make it to the end. So and the, the whole thing of courage and trust comes back around. And it's one of those things that like, it, that level of challenge also teaches you while you're doing it, like what you need to make it. And then you build your team around you of like, all right, this is my massage therapist that I have to see once a week. This is my acupuncturist. That, this is my actual therapist. These are my best friends that are going to like let me cry when I feel like I messed up the night. Like it takes a whole village. Nobody, you can't do that kind of work by yourself. And I'm just really, really grateful, A, for the chance to do something that was so difficult mm-hmm. yet impactful. And B, for this team of people that like rose up around me that like they felt like my guardian angels and we just all held, held each other together and got through it. It does. It takes a village. I want to return to this whole kind of Rolodex of, of roles in your life and wanted to chat with you a little bit about the role of recreating, um, whether it's recreating yourself from stage to screen, recreating the roles that, that are being um, assigned to you, like recreating the same role eight times a week, whether it's like staying fresh, finding motivation, staying true to yourself. How has recreation showed up in your life to inform your work? That's another great question. And the, what comes to mind is more so what you last said is staying true to yourself. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the show by show because one of the hard parts of being you know, a Broadway performer is doing the same thing every day and how to keep it fresh. And you know, starting with the place of gratitude always. If you can be grateful for the fact that you get to do a show every day of the week, that, that's, stay, keep that at the first place because that's gonna help you out a lot. Uh, or help me out a lot for sure, just being able to stay grateful for the opportunity. And then B, uh, realizing that 
again, you're not you're not the role you play. You're not I'm not just an artist. I'm a whole human being, right? Um so that means every time I walk into the room whether it's a rehearsal or walking onto a stage, I am who I am today. And that could be a person that just got shoved on the way to Times Square because it's a million people walking around. That could be the person that was the train was delayed, so I'm coming in late, so I'm anxious and blah, blah, blah. Like, or that could be a person that just won an award. So I'm like excited. Like I get to come in, you get to come in with all of your humanity every day and allow that to speak to your role as it suits your role. And it should, and it should feel different every day. Like at least uh, there's some people that need to stick to a regiment and they're great at that. But for me to create and recreate, I have to find that freshness as if it's realized this is the first time I've done this. This is the first for an audience. This audience didn't see me do this yesterday. This is their first time experiencing this. So who am I today? How do I feel? And how can I just be real and honest about where I'm at? And then like let that lead into whatever the storytelling is. And then even like, again, for life and what's even been happening, like I said, this, the whole pandemic and shows coming and going and jumping from role to role from one Broadway show to a TV show. Now back into my own sort of creations and stuff like that has continued to take me being able to sit with myself and say, hey, who am I today? What do I actually want? What have I been doing that has been serving me? What have I been doing that doesn't feel right anymore? All of those things to continue to give myself a respect, my own humanity. And then from there, all right, so I need to do this now. Once I have that level of centeredness and being able to be honest with myself, then I can take steps in creating. I think whether you're operating from a place of scarcity or operating from a place of abundance, it's really easy to just forge on and not pause for long enough to reflect on what's working and what's not working. It's just like, okay, what's next? Keep moving next show, next audition, next day and next therapist and like all of the, yeah. all of the things. So I, I think it's beautiful to hear the investment that you take in finding time for that, for, because there's so many different ways we can optimize ourselves as human beings and deliver on the work that, that we're fighting for, or that we're being given the opportunity to fulfill. And I, I completely value that. Yeah, for sure. And I think for me, especially the for a lot of us, and again, speaking about the pandemic, that heightened that or like helped a lot of us realize that even more. I'll speak for myself, especially because all of a sudden everything just stopped. Yeah. You couldn't where you couldn't do anything. There was no shows to do. There was no and that lasted for a year or two. And at first I was like, you know, I was finishing Ain't Too Proud. And like you said, you do one of those shows and you feel like you need a week off. I had finished years of Ain't Too Proud and I was like, oh. Thank God for this break, finally. Like, was, everybody else was freaking out. I was like, yes, yes, woo. Yes. <laughs> I can sit down and actually rest. And then lo and behold, I was like, I think, oh, it's going to last a couple months. That'd be great because I was supposed to start the MJ show after that. And it, I was like, no, you actually, I realized I needed way more rest than I thought I did. I needed uh, two years of rest, essentially. Like, don't do anything. Be okay sitting on your couch, being normal again, whatever that means. And then finding your humanity again with like my actual family, my dog that's right here. Like the things that we don't normally get to do when you're on an eight show week. So yeah, being able to realize that you're a human and you need to sit down, you need to rest and take that time to yourself is so crucial. And again, like you said, in order to not just uh, continue to run the rat race that is New York, but, uh, and not just do any old art, but if you want your art to be great and to, be, and to thrive, you need to come from a rested and centered place. And if you don't give it to yourself because you're just running all the time, Feel like you can start spouting out stuff that's maybe not as high quality. 
Yeah, it's true. It's so true. You've made a couple little cute, subtle references of some incredible things you've been involved with. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted, wanted to take a spotlight to those for a second, but through the lens of um, the role that reverence plays in informing your artistry, you've brought some pretty incredible historical figures to life on stage and just thinking, you know, being given this opportunity through the vehicle of your body, through the lens of your perspective, through the insight of your history, your culture's history, what role has reverence played in, in bringing these characters to life your way? Oh, it's, I mean, huge. It's maybe the first thing that you, at least for me to say yes to, to portraying somebody or bringing another, you know, I'm not just playing a character. I'm talking about, I'm portraying somebody's life. Yeah. Um, I can't say yes. I, I, only way I can say yes to it is, is if I have the reverence over for somebody's life in actuality. Mm -hmm. Then it's an honor for me to show up, do the work that it takes to like as closely as I can portray who I believe you were, or at least for me, a lot of times it, it was I'm going to portray how you made me feel when I got to watch you, and that for for better or for worse, because again, giving people their full human humanity. Uh, you have to be able to still honor and have reverence for the bad, the dark sides of people, the in-between and everything else. So it's truly coming from the place of this person impacted me. You know what I mean? Like this person is part of the reason I'm here and have opportunities to even be on stages because of what this person has done in their life. Right. And for so many of us, so just wanted to uh, give honor to somebody that has trailblazed and paved a place so I can even have this opportunity, that's one of the first things I feel like is, is, is first and foremost in my mind. And then you do the work because now you wanna actually honor the legacy. But coming from that place of reverence is absolutely key. You can't do it without it. Yeah, I, I mean, people don't forget how you make them feel, right? And that goes for the people that you're playing and then your portrayal of those people. You've mentioned a few times the impact and role that faith has played in your life and growing up in church, singing, dancing. I know that for many people, whether or not you subscribe to a particular faith or realm of spirituality, there is a feeling that you get in being in the vicinity of faith, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I, I would love to, to hear your thoughts on that. How has the role of, of faith shaped who you are? Oh, completely 100%. I was lucky enough to grow up son of a pastor and my mom's like a gospel singer and a teacher. And just, I grew up in a very spiritual household and setting that very much that feeling that you spoke to. I remember maybe being five years old and in the middle of one of my dad's sermons, having the feeling myself and looking around me and watching people weeping and crying and praising. And I mean, just shouting. And there, there was so much joy and power like spiritual power that I could feel as a young young child and I was like oh my god god is so very real like you know whatever else whatever you call it the universe or whatever you want to label it it's very real that we're so much more than our physical makeup especially us as artists I mean every every human being every being there's so much more going on inside of us beyond what we can see which is why we do the art in the first place right and when we have those moments as a participant as like an audience member or especially as like the artist themselves as the doer where you feel that spirit that whatever it is inside of us that is being awakened and alive and has tapped into whatever this that source is that connects us that's like a high that you can't really experience any other way uh again it's the reason why I do this at all 
And it's the reason why I go and watch it myself. I grew up being such a fan of artists and creators as, you know, people that are able to like make me feel that. So wake my spirit up, wake my heart up and make me laugh, cry, sing, dance, whatever like that. How we move each other with that is so vital. So yes, coming up in the church like that, I grew up tapped into it very early. I grew yeah. up in a place where when I would open my mouth and sing or when I would play the drums or when I would dance, people would stand on their feet and be like weeping, seeing this little black kid like do what he was put on this earth to do. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about artists. Watching somebody do what they're put on earth to do is just like, it tugs at your heartstrings no matter what it is. And then taking that uh, remembrance and again, the reverence thing that we just talked about it, I'm reverent to my art. I'm reverent to God for giving me the opportunities to do this. I'm reverent to the person, people that I'm doing it in front of. So you keep that in mind as you step on these stages and as you say yes to these projects or the reason that you say no to these projects because it doesn't tap that place for you, right? And you just got to carry that with you everywhere you go. And I, I truly believe, at least for me, that whenever I feel that spiritual buzz going on, that's I know I'm supposed to be doing something. I, I, the quick story I have is like, I just finished doing Hairspray Live out in LA. Huge night. It was massive success. And I've always wanted to be in LA. I love I love being on the West Coast. The sun is like a beach. Let's go. And also all the things that were going on. I wanted to do more TV film work. And after that was over, my agents, my managers, all of LA was like, yo, be here in LA now. We, I got set up with like 50 meetings. You know what I mean? I'm meeting with everybody. They're like, we got this show, that show. We wanted you to do this and this and that. I'm like, all right, I'm getting ready to move to LA. So I come back to New York to like pack my little things up. And I have my dog here at the dog park. And one of my best friends, Derek Baskin, who played Otis Williams in Ain't Too Proud with me, we are we're at the dog park and he I get an email from my agents saying, hey, Ephraim, we know that you're probably going to turn this down. But, you know, this audition just came in for the role of David Ruffin in this show coming up called Ain't Too Proud. We don't know if it's good or not. We don't know. But, you know, we just we know you're not really doing theater, but, you know, whatever. I want to let you know that they want you to they want to see you for it. And I told Derek and Derek's like, Ephraim, I'm in that show. I'm the lead of that show. I was like, what? He's like, Ephraim, I'm going to send you the script. Just read the script. And long story short, I read this script. And as I was reading it, I started to hear almost like David's voice in my mind. And then before I would read like what song was coming up, the song would start playing in my head. Like I, I connected so spiritually to that piece so immediately. Like I was crying reading this script. And I pretty much tell my agent, like, I have to go in for this. I have to. And then I end up booking the show. And they're like, we put you. LA is calling you now. LA is, I was like, y'all, I'm telling you, I'm sorry. I don't know what it is, but I have to do this. And they're like, okay. And the years later, they come up to me after the Tony Awards. They're like, Ephraim, you were right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we totally didn't understand that, you know, we had to follow your lead on it, but we thought you were crazy because whatever. But when you're called to something, when you, that spiritual place that we all come from is buzzing as an artist, lean into that fully and follow it everywhere. I mean, talk about courage, trust, <laughs> reverence. <laughs> Faith, yeah. I mean, talk about living your values. Thank you for sharing that with me. Also, I feel like if you haven't cried in a dog park like in New York City, then like, are you even living? <laughs> exactly. That's what they're for. That's Most they're of those for. That's so stunning, that story. I've always, of course, I'm a performer, so I'm biased, but I have always likened the experience of walking into a theater with the experience of walking into a spiritual house, whether that's a church or a temple, there's, there's like an intangible that you feel in your body. And I've talked to friends that don't subscribe to, to faith or religion and they, they feel it too. Yeah. They're like, yeah, there's yeah. something, 
there's something it's like a je ne sais quoi and I find that art all all art provides this opportunity for people to have proximity to flow proximity to someone living out their calling which to me is the most attractive thing in the world to be able to witness and and this proximity to just a sense of um alignment right like so much alignment has to happen to bring these shows to life and passion and resources uh, and talent and timing and venue availability all of these things <laughs> you know and and it all has to align in a way in a very specific time and order in order to work and yeah. who knows what's going to happen but there's a magic that can be captured in that alignment. And my humble opinion is that contributes to that essence, that feeling that you get of being in these houses of, of awe. Yeah. So ain't too proud. You mentioned MJ, the musical. Um, I know you did a little something, something on Hamilton. So many different types of choreography. You have worked with greats. You've worked with greats. You are great yourself. How, How has that been? I feel like choreographically, these styles couldn't be more different. Historically, they're reopening completely different chapters of history through completely different lenses. Like, how has that been for you to be a part of that process? It's been an honor to have the opportunity, again, to step into these places, to be called into these places, to learn from these people. I think that's, you know, that sticks out very much in my mind. Like, you know, they say, stay a student, always be a student. No matter where you are, what stage you are, if you're the lead or if you're the understudy or whatever, be hungry to learn. And that's one thing I know for sure. I'm hungry to learn. Like, I'm like, teach me something. So when I get to work with these great choreographers, with these other great actors, these great directors, these crazy singers, like, I'm like soaking up everything they're doing just because, again, I'm in love with my craft. I'm in love, like, again, the kid that was in his room playing his drums all night and dancing and learning Michael Jackson's choreo and from my TV and singing every chance I got when I was, I had a our R&B boys group when I was in high school. Like I just loved, I loved art so much. Yeah. Um, so to have these opportunities to work now with these major, major people, it's just like, A, again, grateful, but B, okay. It would be, it's okay to be scared, be, you know, be courageous. But then I, I get out of my head a lot by saying, hey, what can I learn? Um, Mm-hmm. And like right now, I got this little tap board back here, and I've never been like a real tapper like that. But now I'm doing a show with Savion Glover, and it's me and him in a room, just like working on stuff together. I'm just like, all right, don't panic, don't freak out, just listen and absorb what he's trying to say. Like, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's really been, again, it's just been an honor to be in these places that I get to learn from everybody, especially these greats that are just pouring into me and seeing people that are believing in me beyond even how much I believe in myself. And that's really touched my heart a lot and let me grow and continue to trust the process. So had you done tap before this production? Uh, Yes, a bit. I never, like I said, my, my first time tap dancing was in the audition for the little mermaid and, Thank God, this the sweet, sweet associate choreographer looked at me. It's like, oh, poor baby, I'm gonna help you out. And so with that, before like before the show, when like when I got the part in like my first show, like she teach me pretty much once or twice a week. She had me come to the theater early, and she just gave me like little tap lessons just so I could be able to do the choreography of the show yeah. and kind of like know a bit of what I was doing. So that was my first time back then. And then in Newsies, there was a tap number in it, which again I was not like really tapping. I was moving my legs around. You know, I could fake it well. My feet were moving. My feet were moving. No sounds were happening. (laughs) So besides that, nah, not really. 
I say now, like working on this show, luckily, I grew, like I said, I grew up a drummer. So rhythm, I get. Rhythm, I understand very well. And that's the love of mine. Right now, I'm learning a new language, especially yeah. because the way Savion and his community, his family of like these actual hoofers, like it's a difference between Broadway tap and what this man is doing and what these people he's brought with them are doing. Like it's a completely different world until like the way he teaches it even is like, no, it's not what I was originally taught. It's like, just listen, learn more with your ears than with your eyes, which is for a dancer is kind of difficult. And my, he's like, don't look at my feet, listen to what I'm doing. And then your body starts to learn in a different way from the ground up. Like it's a, it's a whole other language that I'm just getting my ABCs with right now. Yeah. Honestly, he's been enjoying that because he's like, you're coming from a real place. He's like, I just want you to speak, speak with your feet. So like, if I wanted to say a sentence right now, how would I do it? And he, that's the, his mindset and the, the lineage of great hoofers that he comes from and which what he's do now. So I'm learning, I'm learning a lot. And it's again, but here we are. Stunning. You know, my, my dad always says, if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you rot. And I see green, I see green in the best kind of a way. And also just like an incredible person to, to be your mentor in the tap space. <laughs> yeah, so. tell, tell us about this show of his that you're bringing to life. There's this old, old, old Broadway show called Pal Joey that was Gene Kelly's first role. So they've been working on this for, I hear, seven years now. They revived it once back in like, honestly, the early 2000s or something like that. So yeah, they're bringing it back now to City Center Encores. Tony Goldwyn's co-directing with Savion, who's, of course, co-directing and choreographing. And yeah, it's just like this, again, originally it was Gene Kelly, so therefore pretty much an all-white cast that we're now turning on to, to create a, an, an all-black version of this pretty much which completely changes the story about this young artist this phenomenal artist who's will do anything damn near to uh get his name in lights to achieve his dream which is like to have this killer band to be like known as one of the greats of the greats you know what i mean and like live out his, similar to me live out this dream and this the adversity he faces and you know with women and all kind of stuff so it's kind of, it's kind of hilarious in that way um <laughs> But it's based in the 40s in Chicago. So, of course, again, put make up when a black man is playing this part. Now you're faced with a whole different line of circumstances while you're trying to achieve that dream. Yeah. So it's been very interesting. It's been very close to home in a lot of ways. Challenging, man. Very, very challenging. But again, just an honor to step into something that I think I can see like, oh, this means a lot to me. And I I'm, I'm feel like I'm tapping into my ancestor stories and the people that came before me that like, they came and went and you never knew their names. And they're some of the greatest people that have ever done it. And it's like, that's kind of his, the tragedy in his story. He's known as being, he's like your favorite artist, favorite artist, but you nobody knows that name. Yeah. And he kind of died in obscurity almost in that way, as you know, I see him in my head. So yeah, that's Pal Joey. Wild Pal Joey. And this is going to be in New York City Center in November. Yep. You know, what's really fascinating to me about this, so many things, but it's just this layer of learning. It's one thing to learn a script. It's another thing to learn a script in a completely different language. And it's another thing <laughs> to learn how to learn that new language. And there's just like so many removals of ego and structure and system. You have to completely blank slate it and come in so vulnerable as an artist, as a storyteller, as a dancer. Um, and it's certainly not something you haven't done before for many shows to bring so many shows to life. So, um, you have, you have the proof. <laughs> yeah. you can do it. I'm glad you said that you reminded me. <laughs> Don't you again, forget you've done it before. <laughs> you know what I mean? And again, now it's just 
I'm learning now to have more confidence. I'm learning now to have more fun. One thing I was taught very early, of course, in church upbringing is to be humble. And that's, I say, been a major, major sort of gifting and a, a lesson. But it could come to the place where I'm like, I wasn't able to be as confident in myself, especially as the imposter syndrome sets in. Yeah. Uh, so with that amount of raw vulnerability that I have to walk in these spaces with, I'm now learning from a Savion and from Tony and other people around me, like, no, you're supposed to, we, we chose you. You're supposed to be here. Like God chose you, like trust that and be willing to give all to it and don't be afraid of it. So like, that's now my, again, we're talking about the next, the layers, that's the next layer now, um, which I'm looking forward to grasping onto more and more. It's so beautiful. I mean, also not too long from now, if not happening already, there's a world in which young kids are looking up to you and saying, I'm getting to learn from an Ephraim Sykes, man. What? Like, what? How'd that happen? How'd I get in that room? <laughs> and Your mouth of God is. It's this beautiful passing of the torch that happens. And oftentimes it happens without artists really realizing it because it's heads down, doing the work, learning the things, you know, and staying in the grind of it all. I love to see artists take these moments to embrace and indulge and humbly accept in abundance, the spotlight that they have worked so hard to earn. And so it's just been a gift to watch your career bloom and blossom. It's it's still on the precipice. And I can't wait to see what you do next. I will certainly be at City Center. And for all of our listeners, go and check out Pal Joey, a part of New York City Center's Encores this November. And we will put channels to follow you in the show notes as well. But just want to thank you so much for the gift of your time and for gracing all of the stages and screens that we get to indulge as viewers and consumers of art. Your talent is a gift. I really, really, really appreciate you. And I appreciate your words and your support, your support. Before I even knew you, you were supporting me. And just, again, that truly fills me up. Uh, So thank you for your time and for having me today. Thanks again to our guest, Ephraim Sykes. Be sure to grab the November issue of Dance Magazine featuring him as the cover artist and check out the show notes for channels to follow his work. I'll be back next month with another awe-inspiring artist. Until then, notice the roles courage, trust, recreating, and reverence play in bringing your own stories to life. And if inspired, send this episode along to a friend, teacher, or trusted guide. The Dance Edit Podcast is a dance media production. Subscribe, share, follow The Dance Edit on Instagram, and subscribe to the Dance Edit newsletter for briefs of daily dance news. See you next time.